I tend to lose my voice in between services. <clears throat> so I'll be grateful for a respite of my voice. Uh, if you will, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, it's 11.32 in the ESV Pew Bible, and I'm not sure what it is in the NIV, but I trust you will find it as we have been there for a while now. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who were doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, <clears throat> what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in, is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A doctor, a lawyer, a minister, and a young boy were all on a small plane one afternoon when suddenly the plane developed engine trouble. And in spite of the best efforts of the pilot, the plane started to go down. Finally, the pilot grabbed a parachute and he yelled at the passengers that they had better jump and bail out of the plane. Unfortunately, there were only three parachutes left. <coughs> The doctor grabbed one and said, I'm a doctor, I save lives, I need to live. He took his parachute and jumped. The lawyer said, lawyers are the wisest people on earth. And he took his parachute and he jumped. The minister looked at the young boy and he said, my son, I've lived long and full of years, my life. You are young and you have your whole life ahead of you. Take this last parachute and live in peace. 
The little boy handed the parachute back to the minister and said, not to worry, pastor. The wisest man in the world just took my backpack. <laughs> I live in a neighborhood full of lawyers. So I'm expecting for their dogs to visit our front yard soon. How does a person acquire wisdom? How does a person acquire wisdom? Albert Einstein said of wisdom, wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it. Napoleon Bonaparte said of wisdom, the truest wisdom is a resolute determination, as Napoleon would say. Oprah Winfrey said of wisdom, Follow your instincts. That's where true wisdom manifests itself. Don't even know what that means. <laughs> Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. By what means do we receive or gain wisdom. And what does it have to do with unity? That is what we are setting out to answer this morning. Our two earlier sermons in this series, and by divine providence, our T. Kendall sermon last week. I, I didn't tell him to speak on wisdom. That was really providential. We've been looking at wisdom and foolishness. We've been looking at power and weakness. We've looked at worldly wisdom. We've looked at biblical wisdom. Paul tells the Corinthians, Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. But as he hears about their church, he hears about division, uh, poor treatment of other believers, uh, of people lording their spiritual gifts over one another, he hears of these groups and, and factions that have formed, and so he tells them, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. That is what importing worldly wisdom will do to a church when we have a me-first attitude, when we are without love, when we are loveless. And Paul finishes that section, that thought, there's a, a bridge here in verses 1 through 5. It links with that previous section. And he goes over his own preaching ministry to the church in Corinth. And he says in verse 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and with, or with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We've heard that before in chapter 1, didn't we? It's a reiteration. Paul says, I purposefully didn't come to you with the, the wisdom of man or, and with eloquence, though we admit that Paul could have done those things, but he chose not to. He chose to present simply the gospel. And it, it, he does it in that way so that they're not wowed with Paul's brilliance. Instead, I came to you with words and ideas and concepts that the world will call foolish. God dying to save wretched people against, goes completely against what the Jews would have been looking for or believed. And it certainly goes against what the Greeks believe. It's a stumbling block and it's folly. But these Corinthians Jews and Greeks believed it. And in their believing it, they were united to Christ, foolish to the world, weak to the world, but the power and wisdom of God. And he goes further to say, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? 
If one of them went up to Paul and asked him where the lavatory was, would he just say, I know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified? You think, that was not helpful. No, that's not what he's saying here. Listen to this rather long quote from George Whitfield. Now, I say it's long, but it's going to keep you engaged because Whitfield was a wonderful preacher. So just listen. Some may please themselves in knowing the world. Others boast in themselves in the knowledge of many languages. Yet without the experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified, it would profit us nothing. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There is now no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved but that of Jesus Christ. We might as well think to rebuild the Tower of Babel or reach heaven with our hands as to imagine we could enter in by another door than that of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Other knowledge may make you wise in your own eyes and puff you up, but this alone edifies and makes wise unto salvation. As the meanest Christian, if he knows but this, though he know nothing else, will be accepted. So the greatest master in Israel, the most letter-learned teacher, without this, will be rejected. His philosophy is mere nonsense. His wisdom, mere foolishness in the sight of God." End quote. Paul made Jesus Christ and him crucified his main message, his only message. Paul put the gospel forth as the message of hope and salvation and peace. Paul staked everything on that being his message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. For him to preach another gospel would be to preach a false gospel, would leave people in their sin and in death, and be a testimony against Paul. If you're going to preach something, decide to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you're going to know something, decide to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> I couldn't help but thinking about that this morning, and I thought, what if everyone who professed to be a Christian lived like that? If we all lived as people who decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Could you imagine how transformative that would be to a city, a state, a country, a nation, a, a, the world? But instead, we fight with one another, and we seem to know a lot about a lot of things, and then we bring that thinking in and it gets us nowhere. Verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul, Paul was not a big, strong man, with rugged, handsome looks. He was weak. He had suffered beatings. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned so badly that the people stoning him thought he was dead and walked off, and then he got up, dusted himself off, and walked away. He had poor eyesight. He was the exact opposite of what people were looking for in a dynamic leader. It's what these factions in Corinth were doing. They were picking who they thought the best leader was based on external appearances or, or the use of language. But Paul says, those things draw you to the person. They draw you to the personality. But it is the message that should draw you. John Stott was once visiting Australia and he was preaching a, a series of lectures over a number of nights, and, and finally at the end, he started to lose his voice. 
And he thought, oh, I wonder if I should ask someone else to just fill in for me. Because, I mean, it was, you, you almost couldn't hear his words. And he said, no, I'm going to pray that I'll have a sort of miraculous recovery. I'll preach, and then I'll, I'll head home back to England. And so he got up the next day, and his voice was still a whisper. Uh, just barely croaking anything out. But he had already committed at that point, and so he croaked out the gospel to these students, and he felt crushed, he felt defeated, that he wasn't able to preach in his normal capacity. And so he left, and he, he went back to England, and then he visited Australia a number of years later, and there were some young people that came up to him in that trip, and they said, we were there that night that you croaked out the gospel. But then they said, and God used that message to cause the scales to fall from our eyes and put our faith in Christ. And Stott remembered that it wasn't the messenger. You know, we don't, we don't walk up to the keyboard and say, well done, keyboard. Excellent work today. You led us well. No, we go and find Nathan and say, thank you for being here with us this morning. You were the one that played the instrument. The instrument was just the thing that made the sounds right? It's not the personality of the, of the speaker. It is the one who is empowering the speaker and giving him the words to speak. That's who we praise. You don't praise the man standing in the front. You praise the God who gives him the ability and the equipment to do the preaching, the proclamation. Now, let's flip the script on that. Think of the pastors that you have heard of in the news in the last few years who have been abusive to their staff, to their congregants, who have been removed from their pulpits. Some of them had a rise and fall. If you pick up on that. What was the core in those situations? Often it was that these men, these preachers, they no longer came professing to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Often it was that they, they, they no longer came in weakness and fear and much trembling, but rather were putting on display their own wisdom and power and not the wisdom and power of God. But Paul adds a new element here, and, and this is where we will spend the rest of our time. I'm just getting to the sermon now. <laughs> there was groaning in there, I heard, yes. He says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Again, that God, God, the creator, died to save the weak, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but that it would be in the power of God. And then Paul spends the next, the whole rest of chapter 2 speaking of the Holy Spirit. And I think that would be wise of us to do that. So let me just pray for us right now and ask that the Spirit would help us understand the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we come to you asking for the wisdom of God. For we know that that comes from you. And so, Lord, as we dig deep into this well, as there's much to uncover, that we would be overwhelmed with the riches of the glory of Christ the Father, uh, God the Father, Christ the Son, and you, Holy Spirit. Father, that we would leave asking for more of you, more of you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, three points for us as we go into this section this morning. The first point, God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, we are doomed to who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages and for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Who are the mature? Is it a special group in the church who sit like kind of in one little area and the rest of us just look at them and go, man, the mature. They are, they've got it. No, in fact, what's funny here is that the Corinthians are, in fact, the ones who are saying this about themselves. We are the wise. We are the mature. We are the perfect. We follow the right leader. What he's about to get into is that the mature are those who have the Holy Spirit, those who are in Christ, those who are, to use his language, being saved. <coughs> Excuse me. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So it's not the wisdom of man, it's not the wisdom of the world which he has just put down, because what will the wisdom of the age and the rulers of this age accomplish? They will accomplish nothing. They can build huge monuments and great buildings and towers. They, they can conquer vast armies and territories and, and, and look like they have it all, and yet they will have nothing. Because they lack the wisdom of God, in this case, the Spirit of God, they are doomed to pass away. But Paul says, we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, one that God decreed before the ages for our glory. Oh, Secret, hidden wisdom? I like that. You could write a book about that. You could call it the secret. And you could swindle millions of people and make millions of dollars because there is no wisdom or power in any of that. But people are always drawn to secret and hidden things, right? hey, I just discovered the secret key to health, wealth, and, and happiness. Just send me your social security number and your bank details, and I'll send it to you, and you'll be on the doorstep of utopia and euphoria and all those things. That's not what Paul is doing here. The secret hidden wisdom of God, that, that's the riches of the gospel that were hidden during the Old Testament period but are now revealed by the Spirit to those who have the Spirit. That God took on flesh in the second person of the Trinity, that he ushered in his kingdom over the kingdom of this world while being put to death by the enemies of God. He was simultaneously reigning. That was the spiritual reality. But what did the rulers of the age see when all of that happened? A man who was having a a skirmish, a small revolt. And he and his little group were squashed by the powers at their disposal. They had him put to death. Well, there goes that. But what they thought would stop the movement was actually what inaugurated it. You see... Paul is saying if the rulers of the age had understood the Christ and who he was, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. In 1549, King Edward VI went into hiding during a rebellion over land rights in England. And when the location where he was hiding was captured the leader of the rebellion discovered that one of the captured was none other than the king himself. And once he recognized that it was the king, they released him and they sent him back to London with a safe passage. The identity of this king was recognized by the, the ruler of the rebellion. The identity of the son of man was unrecognized by the rulers of the age, and he was killed. And why was he unrecognized? Well, it's a very complicated answer, but essentially at the core of it is because the rulers of the age didn't have the revealing work of the Spirit on them. Now, does that mean that they are not held accountable? No, for the Jews had Moses and the prophets testifying to Jesus. He even said so, but they ignored him. Pilate was told by Jesus himself who he was. 
but he refused to believe him. Now think about this. From a worldly perspective, these leaders, you know, uh, uh, the Sanhedrin and, and Pilate and, and all the, they looked like they had wisdom, right? They, they, they had been given authority over people. They had power. So surely they had some wisdom to be able to achieve these positions. But when they crucified the Lord of glory, they showed that they did not have the wisdom of God. And this is a blow to the Corinthians' pride. Why? Because he is showing them that when they pursue the wisdom of the world, they pursue the same wisdom that crucified their Lord. Let that sit in for a minute. When we import worldly wisdom into the church, into our families, into our lives, we are bringing in the wisdom that crucified Jesus. Paul refers to Jesus as the Lord of glory in this passage because he possesses glory and is able to give it to those who believe in him. But the Corinthians were seeking glory through the leaders that they were associated with. They're seeking their own glory, and none of those things come. You, you cannot have glory apart from Christ. It's only in and through Christ. Now, if you were to look across the world stage of uh, geopolitics, of philosophies of economics, would you say that the world is united or divided? If you were to look across uh, 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 the American landscape of politics, of philosophies, of economics, of ideas and strategies, would you say that America is united or divided? Even if there is some unity for a brief period of time, it only lasts It's gone. It's It's a moment. You can bring this down into the family unit. There is disunity and fragmentation and chaos because God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. The, the, The last time the whole world was unified, they built a tower to praise their own ingenuity and ability. And so God knocked it over. And then he confused their their languages among the nations. But the day will come and is coming when the nations will be reunited. Not in totality, Not every person from every nation, and not in pride, but in unity under the banner of Christ. When people from every nation, people group, language will be united in bending the knee and recognizing the true king and ruler of all held together by the Spirit of God. God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. Second, God's wisdom is known and made known only by the Holy Spirit. Paul quotes from Isaiah 64 with other parts of Isaiah and Jeremiah chapter 3 in there. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He's pointing out that that the prophets uh, occasionally indicated that God's wise plan remained hidden from all but those who loved him. The the ordinary ways of understanding, the the eye, the, the ear, the mind, they cannot perceive the mysteries of God. Now, the rulers of the world... They are often excellent at using their eye and their ear and their mind to perceive, to learn, to use to their advantage, to make wise decisions. 
that's how they get into the positions of power and authority, right? But these senses cannot discern the wisdom of God. God himself must reveal wisdom in a special way. These things God has revealed to us, Paul says, through the Spirit. Now, who is the us in this passage? I think it's Paul and Sosthenes, who's from the beginning of the letter. If you want to read about Corinth and and Sosthenes, go and read Acts chapter 18, where you find that the Jews in Corinth bring Paul before a tribunal and a a, a Greek proconsul, and the Greek proconsul says, uh, you know, there's really nothing I can do with this guy. I don't know what you guys want. And so the Jews, in their anger... They take it out on the leader of the synagogue who has become a follower of Christ, Sosthenes, and they beat him up. So I imagine when the Corinthians get this letter and it says from Paul and Sosthenes that that means something. And this this Greek proconsul, he he actually oversees the beating of of Sosthenes, and he does nothing about it. He just assumes this is just a quirky skirmish that's arisen because he doesn't have the Spirit of God. He doesn't know what he's looking at. He just sees a, a minor skirmish taking place, not a spiritual warfare. But what Paul is saying here is that God has revealed himself that God has revealed to, let me correct myself here, God has revealed to Paul and to Sosthenes and to Apollos and to Peter and to the apostles that the world has no wisdom to offer the church. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. The the weakness of God is stronger than the power of man. But it seems that this has not been understood by the Corinthians. Paul's point is that God imparts true wisdom to the mature. He wants the Corinthians to know and recognize the wisdom of the Spirit, and that wisdom is to be displayed in their actions, in their behaviors, in the way that they live, but they're not doing it. And so he hears about the divisions from Chloe's house, that they're breaking into factions, that they're aligning themselves according to different leaders, that they're following whoever baptized them. That's not from the Spirit of God. That's from the world. If they're putting on display the wisdom of the Spirit, then they will have a spirit of peace and of unity. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? This is the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have that. Paul says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Nothing is hidden from the Spirit of God. He he shares in that divine attribute of omniscience, all-knowing. And though... An infinite number of things will be hidden from mankind about God. Even those hidden things and those thoughts of God are evident to the Holy Spirit. Nothing is hidden from him in the will of God, in the mind of God. And so for this reason, he is the reliable source for all human insight into the wisdom of God. It, it, it's the Spirit searches and knows God. He is God. And He is the means by which we gain the wisdom of God, that we receive the wisdom of God. But none of this insight comes through human wisdom, which is what the Corinthians are boasting in. I follow this guy. I follow that guy. What, what conversation are you having? That's not even the conversation. And so their divisions, they're fighting. They're not justified. They're not... They're not having a fight over a, a, a doctrinal issue that needs to be discussed. And so to illustrate his point, he gives another example. This makes it so much more easier to understand, right? So, for no one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So you can't get inside someone else's head. And we all know that, but we all forget that. And we think we know what everybody's doing and thinking all the time. 
I know what my wife is thinking right now. I wish he would hurry up. Just kidding. Just kidding. Never. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know what's in your mind right now. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Anyway, I don't know. I, I remember running into a friend of mine, and he, I sort of went out and said, hey. And he was very curt with me, very short, very brief. It's like, whoa, what happened? And so now I've got to play mind games in my head thinking like, was I supposed to call him? Did I, did I offend him somehow? Did, did I, you know, send the wrong text message to him that it was supposed to go to someone else? You know, what, what, what's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put together a complicated puzzle and I don't even have all the pieces. Well, it turned out it wasn't even about me. Imagine that. <laughs> all things revolve around me. Simple point is we don't know the mind or the heart of another person. Only that person knows. And so we don't know the mind of God, but the Spirit does. And he alone can reveal the wisdom of God to us. The Corinthians were beginning to think wisdom from the world could be used in the church. But we see where that was getting them. Paul says, get in line with the Spirit. Get in line with the Spirit. It's not even about Paul, right? It's not the power of Paul or the, the abilities of Paul. It's he, he's going, it's the Spirit. Get in line. If you're in union with Christ, get in line with the Spirit and stop trying to operate in the outside. If you get in line with the Spirit, then you will have godly wisdom. And not only will you have godly wisdom, but you will have unity with one another, and I wouldn't have to write all these letters to you guys. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And I think in here he's thinking about also spiritual gifts that they're going to fight over who has what gift and wanting better gifts, and, and they're completely abusing that. The spirit of the world's not going to tell you about Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory, and, and his crucifixion, or, or they might try and tell you, but it's going to be a disaster. I mean, just put, go look at some historical thing on the historical Christ from I don't know, History Channel or something. It's going to be a mess. It will be totally unhelpful. The spirit of the world is not going to tell you about the grace of God. The spirit of the world is not going to help you understand freely the things that were freely given to us in God, by God. Only the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can do this. And he is given to all who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come to rescue and save and make, make right sinful man to righteous, holy God. Um, a friend of mine many years ago received the first-generation iPod. Opened the gift. It's like, what is it? It looks like a... Paperweight. I mean, I don't know what this is, right? So the gift makes no sense. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it does. Until his dad came in and said, oh, uh, you know those CDs that you keep in all those big binders and things in your car? Well, you can throw that out now because this is where it's going to store it all. It's an unbelievable gift. But when you first get it and you don't know what it is, it means nothing to you. But when someone interprets and helps you see it, receive it, and this is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit drops the scales from your eyes and says, you have been the Son of God, has come to earth and died so that your wretched soul could be made right with holy God. This is wonderful news. But if you don't have the Spirit, I don't know, it's just one of those religions. Some Mesopotamian faith, just like all the other ones. God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. 
God's wisdom is made known and own, uh, is known and made known only by the Holy Spirit. Finally, God's wisdom is received by those with His Spirit and rejected by those without. Hang with me. I know this is long, but we're we're drinking deeply from the well here, and this is well worth it, everyone. Verse thirteen. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It's the Spirit who taught the apostles. It's the Spirit in the teaching. It's the Spirit in the interpreting. It's the Spirit in the understanding. It's the Spirit from the beginning, in the middle, and to the end. He's in every step of the process. It has to be the Holy Spirit who gives the ability to understand and believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the message itself is supernatural. I cannot reason my way to Christ. I I cannot reason my way to salvation. It has to be the work of the Spirit. If it was me, then I would get the glory. But it's not. It's him And because the Corinthians were getting away from that, because they were wanting to elevate reason and human wisdom, it was no longer a spiritual thing to them. It was no longer from the Spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, he's not trying to draw the line in the sand and say, get them out of here. He's explaining to them the difference between those who are in the Spirit and those who are not so that they can understand, not so that they can drive a wedge. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I think we've all experienced this. We've shared Christ with someone and it's, it's just nothing. They're impaired in their ability to understand spiritual things because they don't have the spirit. I mean, it's, it's a really simple concept, and yet the f- ridiculous thing is that a non-spiritual person could hear me say something as simple as that and be like, I don't know. I don't agree. I don't get it. Right? Because you need the spirit to even understand this. It's like trying to crack a code without your decoder ring. You cannot understand spiritual things because you don't have the spirit. Paul is giving them this perspective on unbelievers to prepare the Corinthian readers for a point that he was about to make. That they did have the spirit. They had the spirit in their lives. They were spiritual people because they were in union with Christ. They had professed Christ at some point. But they still had to evaluate whether or not they were depending on the Spirit. Are you tracking with me? They had to reassess their own habit of turning from the Spirit of God into the wisdom of the world. Beloved, we need to do this every day. Is this, is this the Spirit of God or is this just my own, what I think is right? Sorry, my, whatever. <laughs> I, I think there was some confusion last week with Dr. Kendall's comment on the, the dove leaving and running away and flying away. That, that I think what he was illustrating was grieving the Spirit, the, the sensitivity of the Spirit, that the Spirit doesn't actually leave us. The Spirit is always with us. But the question, the question is, who who are you going to feed? Will you feed the spirit or will you feed the flesh? The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he wants to bring transformation and, and it might be slow, but it doesn't mean that he rules our life. And let me explain that. As I said earlier, we still make choices between flesh and spirit. And Paul makes this clear in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. So as you face decisions that you have to make, and, and maybe you're one of the people like me who came down last week asking for wisdom. <clears throat> this is simply what it looks like. Are you going to be in the Word and, and looking at the character of Christ, <clears throat> looking at God's plan of redemption and, and hope and, and, and seeking out the wisdom of God? Or are you going to sow to the flesh? You can choose what you think you know is right or what the world says you need to do about a particular situation. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In contrast to the unspiritual person, the spiritual person is able to make proper judgments. Spiritual people are those who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit's power. They can see matters rightly. Paul says spiritual people make judgments about all things, meaning all kinds of things. What to wear, what to watch, what to read, what to listen to, how they raise their children, how they behave, what their worldview is. <clears throat> and if you are in Christ, then you, of course, have the Holy Spirit, and you have the wisdom of God available to you. But will you listen? Do you have the obedient heart to say, I, I, I want to pursue these things, though my flesh will fail at times? Am I pursuing these things, or am I just... Going to the flesh every time, I, don't even, I can't even get back. You have the Spirit of God. You can overcome these things. You, you, it's at your disposal. The wisdom of the world cannot scrutinize and criticize the wisdom of God, but the world does that with Christians. And that's probably what happened in Corinth. You are a Christian? with the dead guy and you eat his body and all that? That's stupid. You don't have the wisdom of Socrates and Plato and all these guys. You're choosing this guy, Paul, the Jewish guy that has bad eyesight and tummy troubles? What's wrong with you? Oh, I don't follow Paul. I follow Apollos. He, he's really smart and talks a lot better. <clears throat> And so Christians import worldly wisdom and bring it in. And that is what Christians deserve criticism about. When we fail to live consistently with the wisdom of the Spirit, when we are out of step with the Spirit of God. Paul quotes Isaiah to make his point. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The world may say to the church, you know, you need to change the way you do things. <clears throat> or the world may say, you need to take, talk less about Jesus and more about mm, fill in the blank. Social issues, politics, you name it. The world may say, you know, you need to keep those godless kids out of our youth program and, and not welcome them and not teach them. The world will tell you and the world will tell the church everything it wants to tell us, what it thinks. But who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So if the world comes, if people come and they criticize you and they attack you and you say you need to be more like this, their beef isn't with you, their beef is with God. So the church... The Christian family and the Christian person need not submit to what the world says, but listen to the Spirit of God. And when you listen to the Spirit of God, you have the mind of Christ. What a wonderful thing to have. God, give me more of the mind of Christ. 
Most of you stood up two weeks ago because you were united in Christ, because Christ had saved you. And we could very much do the same thing again today in regard to the Holy Spirit. But the question is, are we appropriating the Spirit? Are we listening to him? He's urging us to be in his word. he's, He's telling us to decide to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He is holding us together. Are we trying to live on our own? Or are we listening to Einstein and Napoleon and Oprah and trying to figure wisdom out like it's a, a Rubik's Cube? Do we see ourselves as mature like the Corinthians did? Let us have the mind of Christ. Let us listen to his spirit. Let us pray. Father, it's amazing to me that the message of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us, his death, his resurrection, and yet that wouldn't make any sense to us if you had not poured out your spirit so that we could understand and not just understand, but that you would, you would put us together, that you would unite us to Christ, that the Son said, I'm, I'm going to send the Helper, that the Spirit would be poured out, that the Father said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. And yet often, he's the forgotten third member of the Trinity. And so, Father, we come today saying, thank you, Holy Spirit, Thank you for helping me to see the simplicity of the gospel. Help me to be patient with people who don't see it because they don't have your spirit. And Lord, as we sang earlier, pour your spirit out and give us wise words to speak And give us a spirit of unity in this place around the world that your church would proclaim the good news. That we would decide to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. For we pray this in his name. Amen.